receive in joy in Jesus. If you're new, that is uh, part of the foundation of uh, our convictions, that there's joy in Jesus that we can't find anywhere else, and he put that desire for joy in us. It's hardwired. Uh, many of us grew up in circumstances where that didn't feel like the foundation of what we got at church. So our passion around here is particularly, let's start with these young kids understanding that. Meet them where they are. Let's not go too fast. Let's meet them where they are. Be developmentally appropriate. But wherever they go, they have this experience of, of joy. So good to be with you. Uh, always my favorite time of the week to celebrate Jesus with you all. Now, next week, many of you have heard, but we planted a church, Vintage Grace, up in El Dorado Hills about 10 years ago. And next Sunday is the first Sunday for Vintage Grace Placerville. They're now planting a church. Yeah, far out. Pretty exciting. But, but now there's going to be another church with our DNA being started. It's, it, it will launch uh, next week. So Vintage Grace is celebrating this morning and, and launching them next week. Still an opportunity for you to give to help them uh, with some of, their, some of their needs if you'd like to do that. But pretty exciting stuff. This joy in Jesus just keeps spreading. Now... People that help expand my perspective become my favorite people in the world. I'm 100% clear on what I see and understand about how the world works. I got 20-20 vision on what I understand. My best friends are the people that help me see what I actually don't see, where they give me a fuller picture sometimes an, an alternate picture, but mostly an expanding, expanding picture of how life works. So Johnny and I, Johnny's our student ministry pastors, we were talking a couple of months ago. We were talking about how hard it is to, to, to find a news source where you feel like you're getting objective truth. Everything is just through a particular lens. And uh, uh, I'm sharing how for we older folks, there's a certain amount of grief, I think, that we carry. We remember the days of, you, you know, Roger Mudd and Walter Cronkite and Harry Reasoner. For you young people, those are newscasters from a really long time ago. But the way it used to work is that you got the news. And we had CBS, NBC, and, and, and ABC, and you got essentially the same news on every channel. You just picked a different channel based upon the personality you liked. So we're talking about how hard this is, and, and, and I mentioned it just breaks my heart that it's hard to find. And what Johnny helped me understand, not his experience. This is all his generation has ever known. These younger people aren't grieving what some of we older people are grieving. They've just never been able to really trust a news source as being objective. So he postulated that his generation, it's part of the reason they just pay less attention because they've never known what it was like to just get the news. Now, uh, 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 expanding our perspective, a verb we might call that is learning. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Now, we're looking at a text that isn't easy. 
But God is trying to expand our perspective. Paul's writing to people who were where I was at when I first came to Christ. I saw the truth of the gospel. I saw what it meant for my life, my hopeless position, and I came to treasure him. I told you two weeks ago, the ideas that are conveyed in this text, I was a believer, I was passionate about Christ, and I did not believe what Paul is trying to tell us in our text. Didn't make sense to me. It was hard to process. Paul's writing this. To those of us who treasure Christ, because he's trying to stretch us. He's trying to expand our understanding of God and how involved God was in our choosing him. Now, I, I, it's critical to understand he's writing this to people who have already chosen him. And he's saying, let me help you understand. Now, every Christian I know wants more joy. Every Christian I know wants more peace. Every Christian I know wants to be more bold, more courageous in the midst of it. Every Christian I know wants that. Not as many as I would like that are willing to have their understanding and their perspective expanded but that's why Paul's rightness to embolden our faith to give us a greater confidence a greater certainty that God is God and we belong to him for now and all eternity that it be the foundation of us facing life we got a presidential election coming up. Lord, help us. Give us a confidence in you. Help us to be salt and light and live in this world. But may our confidence be rooted in you. I love y'all, but it just takes effort. If we're going to enjoy this, we have to think and work through some issues that aren't that easy. So, we're finishing today one long sentence that we stretched into three sermons. One sentence. Ah, let me begin with the beginning of the sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is just overwhelmed. Those of you watching online, nice to be with you. Paul is just being overwhelmed. These ideas are flooding his head. They're filling his head. And he's, he, he's just overwhelmed with this praise of God because he goes, this God, whoa! Told you two weeks ago, and it's my belief. The implication is if we understand more thoroughly what Paul's saying here, we will have more of that response. There'll be a greater desire to worship. There'll be a greater passion. There will be a greater enthusiasm when we sing Amazing Grace. 
because we will more fully understand it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings, if we treasure Christ, have we received? All of them. How many of them are we aware of? He's trying to help us get more aware. That's what he's trying to do. Bless us and every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places. This is about our spiritual benefits. Materially, just tell me, he has been too stinking good to all of us materially, but that's not what he's talking about. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, this is a place that just people get tense about. I got tense about. I rejected what I'm convinced now Paul is saying here. Because it felt unfair. You want to wrestle with that too much more? Go back two weeks ago, watch the sermon. Call me. I'm happy to talk about this with you. Even as he chose us who believe in him before the foundation of the world, before we existed, that we should be holy and blameless. The people in Ephesus, me, I thought my spiritual journey with God really began when I became converted. That was my understanding. I wouldn't know this except Paul tells me. Paul says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you when that journey with God began. I'm oblivious to it. I'm unaware. I have no, no no understanding of that, except that God inspired Paul to tell me. Now, is it always easy? You want to wrestle? Come talk to me. Embracing inevitable tensions, this is one. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be homely and blameless before him. Justified. Now, again, notice how many times in him. Blessed us in Christ. Everything revolves around Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ that we should be holy and blameless for her in love. I didn't accept this truth until I became convinced of this truth. Why is this revealed to us? I think I've told you. It's the second greatest truth meaningful to me outside of Jesus died and rose from the dead that I might be redeemed. We choose Christ, and Paul's trying to help us understand. You are loved by God. You've already figured out you're loved by God. That's why you treasure him. You're loved by God. You're loved by God by loved by God. Let me expand your understanding of how rich and how deep and how infinite that love of God is. It doesn't come without some working through some tensions. Predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that he ultimately might be glorified, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All of this, everything comes through Christ. In him again, we have redemption through his blood, his death, his taking on our sin, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then I love this phrase. We looked at it last week according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. I don't know how long I'm going today, but I'm not even through the intro. 
lavished. And one of the questions I'd have for you, have you experienced, have you actually felt his love lavished or was it just kind of a nice gift of love? It was generous, but lavished? When I think of gifts, there are two key uh, folks in gifts, the giver and the recipient. For me, for something to be lavish, the, recipient, the recipient's involved and so is the giver. For the recipient, there has to be a need, something desperate. A gift is not lavish if somebody gives something somebody that they really don't need. It may be big. You know, Bill Gates gives me a million dollars. It's nice, but is it lavish? I don't need it. And for him, that's the other piece of it. What it costs the giver. There's where the power of a gift is. I've shared with you several times because it's my, the key to our experience, this lavish grace, is first of all, recognition, the depth of my need. You who have been around here know that I have a particular passion for those of us who were raised in the church. I think it's sometimes harder for us to realize the depth of our need. Stephen talked about it very well last week. We're not that bad. I wasn't that bad. My life changed when my early 20s, I started really working through my sin. And though I didn't think I was that bad, I came to figure out I was disastrous. I was a legalist. Jesus really ticks off legalism. Most of my goodness wasn't, wasn't motivated by I want to treasure Christ. It was what, that's what you did if you were a Christian. It had nothing to do with Jesus. The depth of my sin, my life changed when I finally got to the place emotionally, whereas I was convinced God should send me to hell, and emotionally I'd be good with that. And then the cost to the giver. I'll tell you, one of the most outstanding illustrations I've heard of this is you guys know about this young family up at El Dorado Hills. We referenced it in trade form a few months ago. Ran out of gas 10 minutes from home. Stopping to get gas, dad's taking care of it. Mom with the five kids is walking to the bathroom, to the bathroom in, in, in the gas station. They're walking on the curb. Three oldest kids are behind her. Two youngest girls were right with her. Young man drunk, seven o'clock on a Sunday evening. Car jumps the curbs, heads right for his two girls. She picks him up to save him. Now, most of you know, most of you know, the kids were injured pretty severely. Brain damage, both of them. But the reality is, they're doing well now. Their mother saved their life. But she had to give her own to save them. Is that lavish love? The older three kids watched it happen from behind them. Now, here's where I go with Jesus. I think most of us are parents. We do that for our kids. God sent his son into the world. We weren't his kids. We were his enemies. We were objects of his wrath. Jesus. 
left the glory that comes with being recognized as God, humbled himself. It's so cute. We have a little manger. This is beyond humbling for Jesus. This is humiliating to become one of us. And then it gets worse. The innocent lamb of God takes on the sin of us. I don't mean to diminish the physical pain for Jesus, but here's my conviction. As bad as that was, it was inconsequential to the pain he endured carrying our sin. When you talk about lavish love, our need as recipients and the cost to the giver. This is what Paul is thinking about as he writes this stuff. And how do we experience that grace? Because we chose him. Paul says, let me give you a view behind the curtain. I want to expand your perspective on the lavish love of God. The riches of his grace which he's poured out on us in all wisdom is making known to, to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. As a plan for the fullness of time. I think what Paul's trying to convey is you want a summary, a one-word sum, one summary of life, creation, all that is? Here's the one-word summary. Jesus. as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. I think there's some future implications, but here's what he's saying. You want a summary of life, people? Of meaning, of significance, of joy, of everything? Let me tell you what the, what the central idea person in history, in time, Jesus. Now we're going to go to the verse for this week and the sermon can begin. <laughs> in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Lord, I don't want to say anything that you don't intend to be understood from this text. And I pray if I do that you would protect the minds and the hearts of these your children. Father, there is such richness here. There is such depth. There's such life-transforming truth and power. I pray you would do what I understand <laughs> mistakably I can't do. Help us to understand more thoroughly 
and experience more thoroughly. Father, don't let us to have one fight about this stuff. Keep us talking. Keep us wrestling. Keep us thinking. Father, may we help one another as we go through this. But Father, no fighting over some of the challenging issues that are presented with this text. May we in love more fully pursue your love and genuinely accept one another wherever we are on this journey. This is about your love. Throughout 2,000 years, Father, there's too many that claim to proclaim your love, <laughs> but they did it without being loving themselves. May that never be true of us. That's my prayer. We ask this in the name of him who is the centerpiece of all history, that person in whom all things are united, in Jesus' name, amen. So, this sentence is about what God has done. Almost exclusively, I hope you've noticed. He's writing to people like me after I came to faith in Christ who did not have this full of perspective. Loved Christ. I was already a pretty passionate evangelist. I was sold out for Jesus. But I hadn't experienced the fullness of his love that Paul's trying to convey here. So what God has done, you chose Jesus. Amen, hallelujah. You're going to spend eternity with him. Amen, hallelujah. Let me understand how much God was involved because unless I reveal it to you, Paul says, I don't think you would know. You couldn't. God has assured us of his inheritance for us. In him we have obtained an inheritance. When we come to treasure Christ, it is ours. We have four kids. Our stuff, we've met with the lawyer, it's divided evenly before, between them, whatever's left. I plan to enjoy the rest of my life. <laughs> but four equal pieces. This inheritance, we all get it all. I'm not going to have less because you get some, Mike. Mark, you're going to get everything. I'm not getting less. Well, Larry, we maybe cut him out of the deal, but that's a whole different story for another time. That was funny. <laughs> okay, for all you sensitive people, Larry's going to have just as big a piece as all the rest of us, just be sure. But there's, I'll tell you. I've dealt with too many families who have lost folks over the years. I could give you horror stories when the inheritance gets divided up. Oftentimes, families that I go, they're not going to fight over this. It's crazy. So when you think about inheritance, don't get any of that picture in your head. Because <laughs> we all get everything. New bodies, 
restored heaven and earth, new bodies. Have I told you about the time when I was probably, oh, I don't know. My daughter, oldest, youngest daughter is 25. Have I told you a story when she was, it's got to be 20 years ago. She was looking at a picture of her three older siblings, Julie and me, and she's in my lap and she's not trying to be funny because I looked very different. And she looked at me and said, who's that, daddy? <laughs> That's what I'm going to look like on that day. But this is ours. We got this life in Christ, we're free now, but that's coming. Now, he wants to make sure that we understand how we got that inheritance. God predestined us to receive it. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Now, what I want you to notice again is we got an inheritance. From our side, we got it when we chose Christ God was actually involved in this. I want you to notice here, he could have just said predestined, but he's trying to make a point. So he's trying to clarify. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he should be holy and blessed. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. How did we get the adoption of the inheritance? How did we get the, the, the inheritance? We were predestined for it because we were already predestined to be his children. So because we're his kids and we were predestined to that, the inheritance that comes with being his kids is ours. You're following me? But notice how he clarifies this. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him. That would be God who works all things. This is Romans 8.28, for those of you who know it. God works in all things. He's saying the same thing here. He wants to have confidence that God's involved in all of life. But this predestination, according to the purpose of him, God. And he's not done. His counsel and will. He wants us to understand we're enjoying this because God is the agent in this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according, according to the purpose, according to the counsel of his will. Are you noticing a theme that Paul's trying to communicate here? Anybody notice a theme? From our side, when did we get become children? When we said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and treasure you the rest of my life. When did we receive an inheritance? When we became his children? Paul's saying, let's look behind the curtain so that you'll more fully experience that love. Now, here's one that can be a little challenging. God has given salvation to we Gentiles as well as we Jewish Christians. 2,000 years after Jesus ascended, this is pretty much a non-issue today. But part of the mystery of the will that he's been talking about revealed, we're going to see it as we go into chapter 2, we're going to see it as we go into chapter 3, is that we Gentiles, the word he uses in Romans, is we get grafted into this Jewish remnant, these faithful Jews. Because Jesus came from the Jews. You all remember that, right? To the Jews first, secondarily to us. I think when you understand that, you could feel like, hmm, we're not quite as important, we're not quite as good. Went to the Jews first, and then us. We're like the B team. 
Paul's trying to clarify that here. No. Everybody who treasures Christ gets the same thing. Everybody who treasures Christ gets the same inheritance. Though it went first to the Jews, it went to the Gentiles, and they are on the same footing, and that's what he's going to develop in chapters 2 and 3. We are all united in Christ. No division. In him, notice here, we. The question now is who's the we here as we read this text? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ. So now we're asking, who is that we? Now, lots of views out there on predestination, election, chosen. One of the views is that it's just a reference generally to the Jewish nation and generally, it, it, lots of different views. And if you're interested in talking about that stuff, come, come see me. But I think Paul is going to tell us very clearly in this text who the we is. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, Jewish Christians, the disciples, the Apostle Paul, the 120 folks there at the beginning of Acts that are all huddled together before Pentecost. After Pentecost, those Jews who came to faith, it went first to the Jews, and they became Christians. Verse 13, in Christ, you also, who's the you? Anybody want to ponder a guess? Pardon? Non-Jews. Unless you're Jewish, I know we got one here, but I don't know how many others. If you're a non-Jew, that you is you. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, everything that Paul was preaching, everything that those Jews believed, when you got that, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what's Paul's point here? You Gentiles are not second-class citizens. You got everything that those Jewish Christians have. You can develop that in chapters 2 and chapter 3. But you got everything. Don't you ever think. I remember thinking as a kid it would be cool to be a Jew. I still think it would be cool. But here's what Paul's telling me. Mm, doesn't make one lick of difference. No difference. Everything those early Jewish Christians enjoyed, those of us who are Gentiles, we enjoy all of it. The same exact stuff. Now, Paul is talking about what God's doing here to people who have already chosen. But let's not minimize what happened to these Ephesians. Paul lived there for three years. Do you think he explained that Jesus died, rose from the dead? You think they heard that? And if they believed in him, do you think Paul preached that message? They knew it backwards and forwards. Did he share some of this stuff, stuff verbally with them? I don't know. But he's writing them now. He's, he's in prison. Here's what he says, and Luke quotes him as saying in Acts. 
For the Lord commanded us, he and, and those others, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So do I think Paul was preaching predestination and election to unbelievers? No. Do I do it? No. Should you do it? No. What do you preach to folks that haven't treasured Christ? God loves you. He sent Jesus into the world. You treasure him and your sins are forgiven and you are a part of his family and you receive his inheritance. Amen, 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 and amen. amen. That's what these folks heard from Paul. I want you to notice though, Luke has the theology as he quotes this that Paul's communicating in Ephesians. It's not just Paul. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. They were thrilled that good news had come to them. Luke, commenting, editing, espousing the same theology here that Paul's espousing in Ephesians 1. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. We choose. God working in us. And God has sealed us and guarantees our inheritance. Pick it up at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Whether you hold to this theology he's espousing in, Jesus, in Ephesians 1 or not, here's what happened when you treasured Christ. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, when uh, Julie and I, we dated for three years before we got married. Somewhere after two years, I gave her a guarantee that we were going to get married. We had a healthy relationship, but we wanted it to be even more full. So I gave her a guarantee of that. Now, there had been a couple of breakups that it will not be beneficial to me if you ask her about those. <laughs> Let's just leave that there. But this guarantee meant something to her. See the guarantee God gives us? Guys, this is mind-blowing. I know we live in a world there's all kinds of problems. I got it. We have elections, we got all this other stuff. What's the guarantee he gives us? Himself. He takes up residence in our life. I know that engagement ring meant a ton to Julie when we were dating. You understand, I could build six months of sermons on this. We don't get the Holy Spirit when we accept the teaching of today, what he's doing here. We get it when we just treasure Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. Our trespasses are gone. Now, 
I like looking when I shop for guarantees. Over my life, I found that many of the stated guarantees did not actually guarantee what I thought they promised. This one. This one. God himself takes up residence in our life. I know life is hard. I got challenges in my life. How loved are we by God? And God has ultimately done this for his own glory. This is not a new idea. We talk a lot around here that God has attached his glory to our good. Some people get... I was going to say their underwear in a bundle, but that wouldn't be appropriate in this context to say that, so I'm not going to say that. Evidence of the Holy Spirit again, controlling me and leading me. But what is God? Some flaming narcissist, he's got to have all this approval. The highest value, the greatest thing in the world is the glory of God. And he connects that to our well-being because it's the best thing he could give us. And the confidence we have in every promise he gives us is that our well-being, our future inheritance, our forgiveness is tied to his glory. Let me tell you, God never compromises on his glory. Ever! That's the ultimate assurance that we're forgiven and that we're going to spend eternity with him because he's connected his name to it. Sometimes I have my name connected to things that I just assume not have it connected to. He's attached his glory to the commitment to fulfill this plan. And there ain't nothing new. In my morning reading, one of the books I'm reading through is Ezekiel. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel. It actually is for their sake. He's just trying to contrast it here with the higher value of the glory of his name. Does that make sense? It actually is for their benefit. He's just speaking hyperbolically here. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. That's what I'm committed to, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. Well, I mean, go back and read the Old Testament. The Jews did not do so well. We didn't know I was do so well, but God is with us. Back to verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as the sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He's already told us he's given us every spiritual blessing to the praise of his glorious grace. First time it's said. Three times in this sentence he says this. Our good connected to God's glory, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Second time. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you experienced all everything that those early Jewish believers did and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I don't think it's accidental that he ends his sentence with, to the praise of his glory. How did this sentence begin? Anybody remember? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, let's worship him. Let's celebrate him. You experienced his love when you came to faith. 
You already want to praise him. You want to praise him a little more fully, Paul says? You want to have a deeper, richer, fuller experience of his love? Understand how involved God was in this process. It is mind-blowing. So that's my God. I get really, really excited about God. Now, I was excited about God before I accepted this doctrine. You've heard that, right? Do you think I'm more excited now? I was really excited back then before I accepted this. I had already experienced his love. I was already praising him, and then I got this. Ah! It is crazy how loved we are by God. Presents some intentions in my head that I still have to wrestle with. But that's the point. So what's my encouragement here as we get out of here? Oh, crud. I forgot, there's one more point. <laughs> so God does all this stuff. What do we do? Did you notice it in there? He puts it in the past tense. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined for the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Now, you want to look at how we're supposed to live? Come back for chapters 4, 5, and 6. How we live flows from who we are. That's the first three chapters. When I was preaching through Romans yesterday, one of our members said to me, I'll never forget this, I can't wait till we get to chapter 12 because that's where the real stuff begins. Now, I love this individual, but you can't say that to me without getting a response. I love chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. I love chapters 12 through 16 of Romans. But in Romans, they're built upon the first eight chapters. Who we are. Then how we live. When this is who you are, this is how you live. So, anyway, what do we do in this? We heard the gospel and then we believed. What did God do? Is it okay if I say everything else? <laughs> that's why he gets all this praise. Now that's an essential step. And if you're here today and you're still thinking about the gospel and you still haven't committed to treasure Christ, I'm grateful you're here. This text wasn't directly written to you, but I'm going to trust in God's sovereign plan that he's doing that work in your life, and that's why you're here today. And somehow this is going to work out for you seeing the truth of who Jesus is. But if we were just in a personal conversation and I knew you didn't treasure Christ, these are not the ideas I would convey right now. All right, now we get to the end. Oh, we hear and believe. Everybody heard that? Okay. He wrote this stuff down. You guys know I'd read Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 before. Thank you for paying me. I got like 15 hours, 20 hours in these verses I talked to you today. 
I still don't have it all. Read it. Ask God to continue to reveal the magnitude of his involvement. That's what this is about. Do not hear us diminishing for a second human responsibility. When we hear, we must believe or it's not going to be good. When I got that fuller picture, my praise for God, my desire to worship him, still growing as I contemplate this truth. Ask God to continue to increase your experience. And I mean here the feel of the riches of his grace which have lavished, been lavished on you. My conviction is it starts with the head. But my prayer every day for us is this wouldn't be two prayers. This would never be for us a cerebral exercise exclusively. I'm convinced the way God designed this to work, it starts with the head. My other prayer is there'd be nobody at RCC ever fighting about this stuff. Let's all be wherever we are, secure enough in his love that we're not gonna get so insecure that if we deal with people that aren't in the exact place of viewing this that we're gonna get ticked. Then my two prayers. But Lord, help me to feel that a little more. It's a great feeling. <laughs> and then ask God to provide the opportunities and boldness to inspiringly share the riches of his grace with others wherever we go, wherever we are. May the truth of his love be appropriately shared. When I'm with folks that don't treasure Christ, my yet-to-believe buddies, we have none of her, never talked about this stuff. It's not where I go. I do go to his lavish love expressed in our need and what it costs the giver. That's where I go. This is love of God. Oh, God, you've been so good to us. Thanks for loving us wherever we are on this journey. There is a richness here and a depth that sometimes it feels hard to plummet. Oh, man, Father. Ah, there's so much interesting on TV. Father, convince us of the joy, of the confidence that's involved in wrestling with truth about who you are. Help us to see you more clearly. Expand our perspective and encourage us in your grace. Father, help us all to experience more of your love and help us all to more genuinely, more fully express that love to everyone with whom we interact.